You're listening to the Autism in Action podcast, the place for families all across America to connect with autism resources, services, and support. I'm your host, Tasha Rollins, licensed professional counselor associate, private practice owner, boy mom, autism advocate, published author, and autism parenting coach. I help families learn to advocate and navigate through the world of autism. Each week, you'll have a chance to listen in to other autism experts and learn about additional resources. Let's embrace the idea there's more to autism than we know, and there's always, always hope. With the internet at our fingertips, there's no excuse for families not to receive the services they need. This podcast will help bridge the gap of missing information and services for autism all across America. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Autism in Action podcast. Today we have got another special guest. We've got Daphne Chikurian, and she is an autism mom, and she has worked in the health industry for over 27 years now as a registered nurse, and I can't wait to learn all about her autism journey and what she has to share with you. Thank you so much for being here today, Daphne. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tasha. It's a pleasure to be here and talking with you today. Well, just share with us a little bit of how you entered the world of autism. Well, um, I was working um, back in 2014. My son was diagnosed. Um, he's now 12. He was seven years old at the time. I was working um, as a nurse manager for an insurance company, and he was in a private school at the time. And I had always known that there was something different. He always had these uh, sensory issues, as they called them, and I saw other kids with them. There was a boy at his school that couldn't ever wear a jacket. Um, but from the time he was small, he was a little late on his milestones, but he met them, and he always talked. So autism kind of floated in and out, but it wasn't anything that ever stuck because he didn't keep the, the features that you would read about, so to speak. But he could never handle a parade or firecrackers. He would hide in the restroom, and when he was able to talk it, two or three, he would say, mommy, come in here, it's very loud. So um, we, we couldn't do functions like other families with the rest of the family, the parades, the things in San Francisco. And so I knew there was something. And so I had him checked and we did like phone screenings and things with the state and he had some speech delay, some articulation errors they called it. So we did do some therapy for that, but there was really nothing else found uh, that was going on with him. But over time, and when he got to preschool, and he was rowdy like the other boys, but I did have him checked a couple of times because I just, you know, it just felt like there was something there, and I've heard other parents say that, and people have said, oh, no, they'll grow out of it, or that's not what it is. Um, and even sometimes, like me, I was screened by his pediatrician. He was screened by developmental, turned out to be the chief of the department in another health system. And they all said he was fine. And but by the time of kindergarten, you know, he was refusing naps and things, which some kids do. But you know, his behaviors were starting to get to be a little more problem at school. But we kind of stuck with our private school system we were in at the time. Um, but by the time he got to about age seven, which was first grade, and the the more academic pressure, the more people in the classroom, the bigger classes, the more noise more stimulation, he was not able to cope anymore and started having 
disruptive and behaviors and things. So he was ultimately expelled from his private school, which was devastating for us as a family. Yes. And ultimately, you know, I was called every day. I moved him to another school. We got involved with Alta Regional in California, which was good. But how we got entry into that was because I had had to find a, a place for him after he was expelled in April of 2014. I found a place that was a local uh, preschool provider, but she was trained up to upper grades. So she took him in and it was wonderful. And she did a wonderful write-up of how he was seven, but he was playing very well with the four-year-olds. And he was doing these things. And so some parents I've heard have had trouble getting their child diagnosed or getting into the system. And it was this wonderful write-up that this woman did with pictures, because it was like a Montessori preschool mm -hmm. that really helped us get started. And uh, that took a number of months. We went to another school, a charter school, and I had been concerned going in and I asked questions about what kind of special education, knowing nothing about special education. But I asked them what kinds of services could they provide. I had heard he might need, you know, he'd had speech at three years old, maybe occupational therapy, and they said, well, we have all those, but you know, they were non-committal about what they could provide. But they did have them, so I mm -hmm. enrolled them. Absolute uh, nightmarish time in our life because uh, the school um, couldn't keep him in the classroom. He would elope, he would run off. It was too much stimulation for him. So initially they had said, you know, you can apply for the IEP or the um, assessments to be done, mm -hmm. but we'd recommend getting to know him first. So after about a couple of months, they knew him very well. <laughs> and uh, he'd been suspended at that point a couple of times. So, um, we uh, asked for that and we got that it took several months but it was a difficult time because he was never in class he was with mm -hmm. like a female janitor cleaning the campus so that was how that went and which was horrible because we were constantly called to the campus and ultimately i changed my job so there was a big change there um my husband worked part-time for the period that he could and we did get him into a public school, which was with a really good experienced special ed teacher, and things started to improve. Um, and each year, depending on the teacher, there's sometimes adjustments to be made, yes. working with a new IEP team, uh, learning the um, IEP individual education program plan that is under the IDEA law for special education students. And most of your listeners probably already familiar with those acronyms and what they mean but uh, IDEA is the law that protects students with special needs and allows them to have an access to an education into the curriculum and so there's a lot of terminology when you're new to this world yes lots of things to learn as a nurse and as a peer coordinator with families I knew how to uh, ask questions take notes keep records do everything by email especially when I learned what things were like change of placement and behavioral supports and how students could be moved to schools for emotionally disturbed. Those things all frightened me. And so to deal with my own anxiety of the process, I um, kept notes and I was very, you know, I bought a briefcase and I learned that through Warmline Family Services by going to seminars that they provided for free, other parents helping again other parents to learn, bring a briefcase, take notes, nothing else that makes you feel better when you're nervous and there's all these people there. 
Yeah. But I do think you should bring snacks and bring someone with you. Bring a friend or someone. Uh, I brought the ultra regional person. She's very nice, the case manager, and she would come and she never said anything because we usually worked it out. But it was nice having a backup there. Absolutely. Um, and so now he's in sixth grade, jumping ahead. You know, we went through years of you know, there's ups and downs, and but he's been more and more accessing the curriculum. And what really helped him, he was struggling in fifth grade last year, and we started a medication that helped him focus better, and he has been doing you know, much better ever since. Um, and I'd held off on that for a long time because he went through ABA therapy from about seven to 11 years old, and that was extremely helpful. That really saved our family life. It taught us how to, um, help him with a system that could reward his behavior and that would uh, help him grow. And as the children grow anyway, they tend to mature anyway. It's not just that they're stuck in this one place. They are always evolving. They're always yeah. growing. But the uh, ABA supports really helped us. That was a very helpful thing. The other thing that was helpful was another three to four years of the speech therapy which helped him with social skills because he was always able to talk. The problem that he had was their monologues, not dialogues. They're mm -hmm. him talking to other people and not accepting anything in and a lack of awareness of body language and a lack of awareness of um, idiomatic expressions, you know, mm -hmm. colloquialisms. Like if I said, uh, Christmas, look at, look at the Christmas list, you know, for your brother and sister, it'd be like, I said, let's run the list on them and see what the family needs. We're going to go shopping. He would be like, we're going to run where? Where are we going? We're running where? So it's, it's, it's that lack of translation. And for us, that may seem like a small thing, but for them, it means constant misinterpretation by other people. So he went through speech therapy and that really helped. And then the occupational therapy also helped and he's finished those and really graduated from them so um, we're in a much much better position now than we were when we started and although I know there's been ups and downs and there will be in the future um, by networking with other parents and by going to seminars and sometimes more than not in other words sometimes I may feel like doing things or sometimes I don't want any part of it <laughs> I just want to break yeah um, but it has really helped me navigate the journey and my, my husband and I also have a daughter who's, who's seven. And, uh, you know, we have, we have a happy family, you know, I love my family and we're in a good place. And it's been a journey. I call it the autism journey because it's really a journey of you know, learning about yourself, learning about the people in your family and learning about your child as they would, you would anyway, whether they were neurotypical or, autistic very well said very well said and the autism journey itself it encompasses so much and like you just said you know with all of the early services that you guys were able to access the aba the occupational therapy the speech therapy all of that creates a very big wide support system and i think that it's incredible that you just mentioned you know ask a friend to go with you to have that extra backup and in your case it was a case manager and i think that you know if it wasn't for our case manager i don't know where we would be so uh, she is just phenomenal and um has helped guide us in so many different directions and given us some really great advice um, so with your son being in middle school and um, 
you said he's in sixth grade now. What does the school that he's in offer any services? Do they, aside from like academic resource and, and the IEP and stuff like that, do they offer anything? Yes, they do. And I, I mentioned earlier that he had started his journey at age seven and from preschool in a private system. Then we went to charter, which absolutely did not work. Um, and then we went to public because of the special um, education supports. And so we, um, in our system, we moved from one system to another, but in our system, we went, he went into special day classes. Mm -hmm. So for second grade, third grade, fourth and fifth, he was in special day classes, but in fifth, they were mostly in moving him into the RSP or the resource specialist uh, person. Yes. And they are the support person in the school. For those of you who haven't experienced this, there's a person who is like a bridge special day would be a small classroom with a teacher with aids expecting children to have um, need a lot more support to access the curriculum and uh, they can be higher meaning functioning meaning with people who are doing almost grade level in that class this was a three grade level class three four five yes sometimes the students are not able to do too much towards their own grade they may be two a couple of grades below but um, he's always been about one grade level below. Um, he's a pretty intelligent guy and has an areas of gift in mathematics, but in other areas, no. So once he finished fifth grade and he went to the middle school, so sixth grade, seventh and eighth will be the middle, um, he had done well enough that we um, had him at one school that had the special day, but he did extremely well, which I wasn't, Quite prepared for I was expecting it to be some of my previous experiences I would say I might even have a little bit of you know the anxiety level was high going to a new school yeah because people that don't know the child they don't know the history and sometimes they don't read the information that's been prepared the behavior plans they don't really read them ahead for every student so they don't really know what to do from the beginning to prevent problems so these things were all going through my mind, but it turns out that um, he did really well and they were absolutely fantastic, the teachers were. So my concerns were um, just those concerns, but they didn't come out, it didn't happen. Um, and so that wasn't my experience, but the good news was is that's how it worked out. So I tried to keep that door open and leave the space for things to go really well but also knowing that I had to be ready for when I got that phone call or that email to take action to try to prevent things getting worse. Yeah. Um, and so that would be a tip to have for, for parents, as I said earlier, keeping a record of things you receive and things you send, fine to talk with people about things, but it's important to back it up with, this is a record of our conversation so that we have that. Because there was one year where there was bully situation at the school and it was a newer teacher new to the school and so even though I was communicating with the teacher and he was doing things in the class to try to prevent this situation from getting worse he wasn't using his resources throughout the school at all I didn't find this out till months later and when um, things really got worse I brought the uh, SELPA the local plan special education local plan area person to come to the meetings and the district special education director they got involved because they saw how awful things had become and they knew that they had really 
not acted early enough and this teacher ended up being fired at the end of the year which mm. I had no part in and that wasn't my you know wish for anything to happen to this teacher my wish was that they would proctor him properly and get him so he would know what to do right with, with this because he had worked in special education but in middle school students that were in a different place than younger students mm -hmm. and so ultimately he left the school and he went to and had a fantastic teacher the following year but it is important that I learned early on that I should have included the principal. So if there's anything that is a, is a danger or a safety issue or, or emotional bullying of a child, and this is very frequent and common in autistic children, that they are bullied. It's common that there's more assaults, there's more of all of these things. Mm -hmm. And because of that reason, when things start get started and we become aware, we have to get the people involved who can actually take action about it. Classroom teachers can if they communicate, but the principal is the one who's ultimately responsible for what goes on at the school. So that really taught me a valuable lesson to include the right people from the beginning, and he wouldn't have had to suffer an extra three or four months because of, of procedural things that didn't happen. Because um, I was a little bit too trusting that the teacher was actually working on changing things in the way mm -hmm. these kids were interacting. But it worked out well and you know we learned from that and the good news is we learned what to use the next time and when i see moms in the um, online groups that i'm a part of the mom support groups and family support groups we post things and we have issues or questions or need to vent and then we post and help each other that's something that i will always mention to them make sure that you include the right people and reach out to people in your community your network that understand who've been through all of this. There's people out there that know things I haven't dealt with yet. And I trust that people, and they do, people care and they will chime in and say, here's what you should do. And I also always try to answer when people have questions or things that I know I can help grease their way, grease the wheel for them. And that's why I'm here today is that I wanted to pay forward some of what the help that I've been given through Warmline Family Services and other parents, taking the time out of their busy schedule to share their wisdom. And I have found too that we are, you know, a very special group of parents, um, not taking anything away from, from children that don't have autism, but, but with parents that do have children on the autism spectrum, the advocacy piece, and making sure that we ask and making sure that we're a little bit more proactive than reactive is very, very important. And I really admire you bringing the topic up of bullying because that's not something we've discussed here really a whole lot yet. And it, is, it does need to be addressed and it is important for parents to know who they need to contact in the beginning and what, what records that they need to be keeping. So thank you so much again for bringing that up. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss today before we close? Um, just, I'm just thinking through my mind of um, tips. The school system, there's three parts to this autism journey. Um, there's the family life, the home life, there's a life in the community, and then there's the school life because our children are typically underage. And even when they get older and go into vocational or college or, or other programs for jobs, that's still, you know, kind of a work school life. So there, there's like thirds to this. And in the, the school life has been the most stressful piece for me going through that. And I'll also say that um, the stress we all know is immense. 
And I'm a great believer in resilience and that we, by going through and getting proper social support, by talking about things, by reaching out and getting feedback and support, even if you're isolated, even then that is online, it's been very helpful. And if you have local friends, it's very important to nurture that. And it is a community. People outside of the community don't always have any perspective on what's happening. And I see a lot of posts about that. You know, mom-in-law doesn't understand, or they tell me they'll grow out of it. And people take that very personally. It's very, very distressing for people. Even people who are new to autism diagnosis or have been in it for several years. So I want to say that, you know, all the research is pointing towards, you know, humans have a great capacity for resilience. And these kids don't have set futures, no matter what anyone says. It's not set. It's something that's dynamic and it's changing. And it's important to reach out to others and have social support. That will help strengthen your mental health because I'd had my own mental health challenges when he was diagnosed. It affected my health and I've seen it affect many other parents' health. And I think these things are improved and they have been improved by coming together, you know, taking care of yourself as best you can, exercise, eating right, getting rest, but also the social support because we are social animals. It's not normal for us to isolate ourselves and you'll feel far worse if you do. So the school piece, the home life and the life of the family, um, uh, they can all be challenges, but you don't have to do it alone. That's the important thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to be here today and encourage all of our listeners. And for all you parents out there, if there's anybody else that's listening in that would like to share your story the same way that Miss Daphne just did, please reach out to me. You can email me at Tasha, T-O-S-H-A-D as in Diane Rollins, R-O-L-L-I-N-S at gmail.com. And for Daphne, is um, there any way that parents can reach out to you if they have any questions? Um, yes, you can. I'm on Twitter. So I'm on Twitter at Daphne Chikurian. That's D at D-A-P-H-N-E Chikurian, C H A. K-U-R-I-A-N, and I'm on there, and um, you'll see a lot of things on there about my uh, PhD program and things like that, because I'm studying family caregiving and family caregiver resilience, so um, but you're welcome to reach out if you have any questions, and you know, maybe I can direct you to, you know, how to get involved with a local uh, group. They can help you out. There's a lot of resources out there, tremendous, more than I could discuss in this time frame, but there's a lot that can help you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Tasha. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Autism in Action podcast. For show notes, more information, and downloads, head on over to TashaRollins.com and join the Autism in Action Facebook group to stay connected. Please leave a review on iTunes and help spread awareness on social by sharing this episode.